The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Well, we've spent the last month or so looking uh, at the first 12 verses of First Peter as we've been working through our, our verse-by-verse study of the book. And what we really have been in is a study of salvation. How salvation works, what salvation does, where salvation comes from, um, what salvation produces in us. This is, has really been the theme of these first um, 12 verses. In these verses there really hasn't been any imperatives. And by imperatives, we mean, you know, a a call to action, something to do, a command. There really hasn't been any of those in these first 12 verses. What it has been is, you know, a, a deep dive into what we have, what we already possess in Jesus Christ. And it's been theological in nature. But as we get to verse 13, there is a transition. There's a shift. And it goes from what we have in Christ to what we are to be and do now that we are in Christ. So here here comes... The commands. You see this transition in the first word of verse 13, and that's the word therefore. That's, that's the key for you as you read your Bible, as, you're, as you study your Bible, that there's a shift coming. This word therefore. And, and here's the way we understand this. Because of this salvation, because of what you have Because of what you possess, because of salvation, this is the application. That's the the therefore. It's everything that's come before it. Because of this great salvation, therefore, you are to do some things. And now, Peter makes this this shift to how we should live. And this is going to go for pretty much the rest of the letter. These are things that you should do. Now, this morning we're going to look at two things that Peter calls us to do in these verses. And that is to live with hope and to live with holiness. Because of this salvation that is yours, because of the salvation that's that has come from Jesus Christ, who before the foundation of the world chose you in Him. Because of this salvation that's been given to you, because you've been caused to be born again, because you now have a a living hope, because now you have a, a joy that surpasses circumstances, because these things are are yours, now you are to live a life marked by hope and by holiness. These are the two commands from these verses, and they form the main thrust of these verses, um, hope and holiness. 
Now, this for me was a difficult text to, to outline because it's, it's almost written in reverse. There are a number of imperatives that are given, but the main thrust of these is live with hope and live with holiness. These are the main thoughts. So here's the way you break these verses down. Because of this salvation, number one, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's, the, that's the main thrust of the first point that Paul is, is making. Set your hope fully on the grace. Now you do that by preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, right? So that's all in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the main thrust is set your hope fully on the grace that will be yours and you do that by doing these, these other things. Does that make sense? So it's, it's, it's written backwards. We still can speak this way um, today, but that, that's, that's the way Peter's um, done it here. So that's the first thing. Because of this salvation, set your hope fully on the grace by preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And then the secondly, because of this salvation, you also be holy in all your conduct by being obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who has called you is holy you also be holy so do you see it you see how we Peter's sort of working he's got two main thrusts here of hope and holiness that are explained and and clearly given, here's the way to live this way by doing these things. So, first, Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the rev- resurrection or the revelation of Jesus Christ. First, main thrust is that we should, as believers, because we've received from God this salvation, we should set our hope fully on the grace. That's what we are to do. Now, this is a decisive action that you and I should take because of the salvation that is ours. When, when Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace, we need to understand this as being a decisive action that we can make. This is something that we decide to do. And we see that through that word set. This is what set means. What Peter's saying is, you do this. You decide to do this. You make the decision to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought. Set your hope there. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to set our hope fully? That's the language he uses. Set your hope fully. 
What does that mean? It means to fix your hope completely. That's what Peter is telling us. To set your hope fully means to fix your hope completely. Now, hope is a confidence a confident assurance based on God and what he has promised. That's hope. It's a confidence assurance that is based on God and what he's promised. This is our our hope. Now, Peter has already said that we've been born again to a living hope. That this hope is ours, right? We've been born again to a living hope, he says. Because you've been born again to a living hope, you set your hope fully on the grace. So we've been born again to a living hope. This this hope, this confident assurance based on God and His promises is ours. Not only is it ours, this hope is active because this hope is alive. The reason why we have a living hope, the reason why we have a uh, uh, an active hope is because it is, it is confident in the assurance based on God and what He's promised. Right? We have a hope based on a person and a work of Jesus Christ. And He's alive. So our hope is alive. So when, when Peter says you set your hope what he's saying is you are making um, decisions based on the confident assurance of God and His promises. It's not based on you. It's not based on your circumstances. It's not based on what you can do. It's based on God and what God has promised. Now, what have we come to know about God. We've come to know God most fully through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That God has, by His grace, come to us in the form of a man living a perfect, holy life, dying a sinner's cross on the death, and in that moment, taking the full weight penalty of sin on Him for all of those who would believe in Him. Dead. Buried yet risen again to new life. And so now we, as believers who've been born again, we've been born again to a living hope, a hope based on God and confidence in Him, confidence in His work, confidence in His promises, because He's done what He promised that He would do. Therefore, we know He's going to continue to do what He's promised He will do. This is our hope. And we are to make a conscious decision to set our hope or to fix our hope, Peter says, completely. Completely. Here's the way I think of this as far as set your hope. I think of this as as setting a foundation, right? That's what you do. When you, when you start to build something or you need to anchor something, what do you do? You first, you set a foundation. You set a foundation. Or if you, if you need to, to anchor a post into the ground, you want to anchor that post into rock, right? Now what happens if you don't have rock? You make rock. It's called concrete. 
You set this post so that it's, it's firm, it's immovable, it's not easily shaken. It doesn't crumble under the weight. It doesn't crumble under the pressure. You make the decision to say, I'm building off of this thing, right? That's what it means to set a foundation or to set a, your, your hope that you set it deep and you anchor it to something stronger. That's what it means to set something. And this is what we must do. We set our hope. We anchor our hope to something stronger. We anchor our hope to something bigger. That's what it means to set your hope fully. You're setting your hope. You're anchoring your hope into something stronger and bigger and more powerful and more able than you are. That's what it means to set your hope. You're making this conscious decision. Now, where is it that that Peter tells us to set our hope? You set your hope where? In grace. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So where do you set, where do you anchor your confidence in God and His promises? You set that hope, you anchor that hope, you set that confident assurance based on God and His promises fully on grace. You set it on grace and you set it on a grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like I, I find that, I think if we, if we read that really quickly and you don't stop to really look at the words, you can think he's saying, you set your hope on Jesus. That's not what he says. You set your hope on the grace that will be yours at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus comes again, your hope is that grace will be yours. It's not just set your hope that he's coming again. It's set your hope that when he comes again, he comes with grace. And grace will be yours. You know, we as believers in Jesus Christ are commanded over and over again to live in light of the second coming, right? That he's coming again. We must live that way. With an eager expectation that Jesus Christ would come again. This is Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When when Paul says, you set your mind on things above. What he's saying is, you live in, in light of the second coming. That Jesus is coming again. And when he, when he comes again, you're going to be with him in, in glory. This is over and over again, we're commanded to live this way. That Jesus is coming again. 
That this world isn't our home. Remember, that's a great theme of, of First Peter is that we're, we're aliens, we're strangers in this, this world. And when Jesus comes again, it will be miraculous. It will be unbelievable. It will be amazing. But our hope isn't just that he's returning. That's not our hope. Our hope is that when he returns, he will bring with him grace. That's our hope. And you think of it like this. When you initially came to Christ, it was all grace. Right? The first time you came to Christ, when you came to him as a sinner in need of salvation, you, when you came to him, you came to him out of grace. God, by his grace, calls you to him. God, by his grace, is merciful to you. God, by his grace, forgives your sin. God, by his grace, causes you to be born again. It's all his grace. It's all his grace. And when he comes again and you're made like him, it's all his grace. It's all the grace of God from the beginning to the end. And our hope is set that when he comes again, he comes with grace. That when he comes again, he isn't coming again to give us what we deserve. Because if he was, we wouldn't have any reason to hope, would we? If when Jesus Christ comes again, he gives us what we deserve, we have no reason to hope. Because he's coming in judgment. He's coming in righteous judgment. He's coming to execute the payment and the penalty of, of sin. And if when he comes again, he's coming to give us what we deserve, we have no reason to hope. But what we can know is that he is coming again to complete the grace that he has began in us. And that's a, a reason to hope. That's, that's Philippians 1 verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That the work of the grace of God began as God called me to himself and God will by his faithfulness Bring that work of grace to completion when Jesus Christ comes again. Our great hope is that when he comes again, he comes with grace for those who know his salvation. That's our hope. That's our hope. Here's what that means. That means that if you don't know his salvation, then his second coming is nothing to hope for because judgment awaits you. But if you are his, and if you have been born again to a living hope, then we are to live with our hope fully set on the grace that will be ours. That's Peter's command. You live with your hope fully set on the grace that will be ours. Now, how do we do that? How do you go about in your life living with your hope fully set on the grace that will be yours? Well, Peter tells us, first, by preparing 
your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. You see it. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, set your hope fully on the grace that will be yours. How do you do it? You do it by first preparing your mind for action. Now, what does this mean, this phrase, preparing your minds for action? And you may have a translation, if you don't use the ESV, you may have a translation that says to gird up your minds. And we don't really use that language anymore of, of girding up or girding up our loins, but we still do gird up our, our loins. We still do gird up and get, get ready for action. So what this means, to, to gird up, which is just work that into in every conversation you have this week. What that means to gird up. So you know in, in ancient days, the men wore long flowing robes, right? And so if it, if it came time for battle or it came time for sport and you're wearing, you know, a long dress, that's going to impede your, your movement. So before action, before battle, the, the person would tie up the rope. So they would, they would pull it up. They would cinch it up with, with a belt. They would tie it up so that there's, there's freedom of, of movement in a, in a battle or in a, a, you know, a physical activity, right? Now, we don't wear long, as men, we don't wear long flowing robes. At least you don't hear. I don't know what you do at home, but here, you're not wearing long flowing robes. But we still gird up. We still gird up. We still get ready for, for action. If we're going to do something that requires physical activity, we, we dress a certain way for it, right? Unless you're all into athleisure, ladies, and you wear yoga pants everywhere, which I don't understand. That doesn't mean you just because I've learned just because they look like they're headed to the gym doesn't mean that's where they're going, right? <laughs> but we, we, we get ready. My, my son, Eli, he's He's got into to riding dirt bikes, and I'm super excited. I rode one when I was little, so he's got one now. I've got one now, and, and we go riding. But he knows before he gets on his motorcycle, before he goes riding, he has to put on the equipment. You cannot ride if you don't have boots on. You cannot ride if you don't have long pants on. You cannot ride if your chest protector's not on. You cannot ride if your helmet's not on. You cannot ride if your knee pads aren't on. You cannot ride if your elbow pads aren't on. And he's, all right, Dad, I'm ready to go, you know. I mean, he's, he's, he's fully equipped and ready to go. What's he doing? He's, he's, he's getting himself ready for the activity that he's going to do. We, we, we still do that, right? If you're going to play football, you get ready. You put it on. I mean, whatever it is, we, we, we're not cinching up a, a skirt, but... We still have this the same practice today of, of giving getting ready. We actually use sort of a same colloquialism. So they would say, gird up your loins, meaning get ready. You know what we say? Roll up your sleeves. Roll up your sleeves and get into it. It's the same idea of, of preparing yourself, getting yourself ready for action. This is what Paul is, is saying, that you, if you're going to live with your hope fully set on the grace that will be yours, if you're going to do it, then the first thing you need to do is prepare your mind for action. You gird up 
your mind. You get your minds ready. You tie up your mind. That's literally what this means. You, you tie up your mind. We must do with our minds what they would do with long flowing parts of their garments. Here's what that means. That means that if you're going to live with your hope fully set on the grace that will be yours, you cannot be a spiritual scatterbrain. You cannot have your thoughts, your decisions, your purpose hanging loose and blowing in the wind. That you have to make a decisive decision. To live with end grace in mind. <clears throat> to gird up your mind means that you're taking all of the loose areas and you're binding them up to the Word of God. That's what it means. To prepare your mind for action means you get this thing under control. That you know what you believe. You know why you believe it. And it should not be easily shaken. It should not be easily moved. Your mind is ready for action so that when things come your way, you're not confused, unsure, wavering. You know because your mind's been prepared. I, I, I love this. If you're going to live a certain way, with your hope fully set on grace, then the first thing you do is you get this tied up. Because you live out of your mind. What you're thinking, how you're thinking, why you're thinking it, controls what you're doing. So if you're going to live with your hope fully set on the grace, then you need to prepare your mind to live that way. That's the first thing. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And then Peter says, and being sober-minded. So you, you gird up your minds in action. That, that's, an, that's an action. That's a decision, right? To prepare your minds, that's an action. Being sober-minded is a continuous attitude. So you're, you're making a decisive decision to, to, to tie up the loose ends of your, your spiritual scatterbrain. And then you live with a continuous attitude of being sober-minded. What does that mean? That means having clarity of mind. That you've tied up your minds in such a way that now your mind is is clear. There is, there is clarity of mind of how you are to live. See, that's clarity is the opposite of drunkenness, right? So he says, have be sober-minded, so sobriety is put against drunkenness. And clarity is against drunkenness, right? So Drunkenness, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be, cloud your mind. They, they cloud your thinking. 
they cause you to misinterpret reality. That, that you see reality as it really isn't. Right? That's what drugs and alcohol do. They cloud your mind. If you don't believe that, watch Live PD. That's all, that's all it is. People whose, whose minds, whose judgments, whose realities have been clouded and have been confused because of drugs or, or alcohol. What Peter is saying is to be sober-minded means that you have a, a clarity of mind, a clear perspective, a way of thinking that evaluates things correctly. So you've tied up your mind, you've prepared your mind for action, and now you're living continuously with sober-mindedness, clarity, understanding of life and things that are happening. Being sober-minded denotes a spiritual steadfastness and self-control. That you're you're self-controlled, you're spiritually steadfast, you've prepared your minds for action. So, set your hope on the grace that will be yours. By not letting your mind run out in all directions about all things without concentration and having, having a clarity that is spiritually steadfast on God's Word. Then, you'll have your hope fully set on the grace that will be yours. You see what, how this works together? If you're going to live with your hope set, then you must have a prepared and sober mind. If your mind is loose, like a flowing garment, you're going to get tangled up. If your reality is clouded, if you aren't steadfast, you will lose hope. Right? But if all that's cinched up, if it's tied to the Word of God, there's clarity in your thought, you will have hope. So that's the, that's the first point. Live with your hope fully set on the grace that will be yours at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because of this salvation, live with your hope fully set. Secondly, be holy in all your conduct. Peter says it this way in verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter says that the direct result of salvation in your life should be hope and holiness. To be holy means to be pure, to be clean, to be righteous, to be sinless, to be separate from the world. God's command for you and God's command for me is, in light of your salvation, be holy. And you are to be holy because of whose you are. That's what this phrase, as obedient children, means. That's the way... Peter prefaces this whole command to be holy. He prefaces it by saying, as obedient children. Now, we can read that 
And we can see it, and we can believe that it means, and yes, it does mean, that God is the authority, and we're to do what He says, just as parents are the authority, and we're to do what they say, right? Children should be obedient to their parents, because their parents are the authority. God is our authority, therefore we should be obedient to Him. Therefore, we're obedient children to God. And that's true. But there is a meaning here that is more than that. This really should read as children of obedience, not obedient children. As children of obedience. Now, why that distinction? This was a common Hebrew way of speaking. To call someone a child of something was common. You see it all through God's Word. You see um, phrases like uh, children of transgression or he was a child of transgression or he was a, a child of evil or you are children of sin or you are children of light or a child of wrath or children of disobedience. You see it, it was a common way of speaking um, for the Hebrew. And what it means is that this is your character. So to say someone is, a, is, a, is a, a child or you are children of transgression, that means that your character, your way of life is one of transgression. Or you see like, like children of wrath. You see that in the New Testament. That creation is called children of wrath. That means that you are by your nature, your character, deserving of the wrath of God. This is what Peter means here. A description of our character. That we are transformed by being born again. And now that we've been born again, our character has been transformed and we are now children of obedience. Once we were the opposite of that, right? That's Ephesians 2.2. In once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience or the children of disobedience. You once walked as a child of disobedience, meaning that your character was that of disobedience. But now, by the grace of God, you have become who you are. And now no longer do you have a character that's marked by disobedience, now you have a character that is marked by obedience. That this is what's happened as you've been born again. That your character has been changed. This is, this is, we've already seen this in 1 Peter. Peter began, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. 
that when we've been born again, when we've been made a new creation, now our character has been changed so much so that our character, our way of life should be one of obedience. That's what this means as as obedient children. Now, why is this important? Because when Peter gives the call to holiness, he knows that he can do it with confidence that we will seek holiness and we will follow holiness because we have been changed, our character has been changed, and now we are children of obedience. And as children of obedience, be holy because your Father's holy. Now, how do we do that? How are we to be holy as our Father is holy? Peter tells us, and he says it by saying, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You live in holiness. You live as children of obedience because that's what you are by not being conformed to the passions that were once yours. This, this phrase here, being conformed, it's only found one other place in the Bible. You probably thought of it as you read that. It's Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we live holy? We live holy by not being conformed to the passions that were ours in our former ignorance. To be conformed means to form together. You don't form yourself together according to your former lusts. That's what Peter's saying. Think of it as a sculptor with a lump of clay. And he is, he's fashioning the face of a man sitting next to him. He's, he's conforming that clay to the image of that man. We are all spiritual sculptors. And we are fashioning our lives together after another model. That's what we're doing spiritually. And what Peter is saying, you don't take your old life, you don't take your old lusts, you don't take your old passions, and you don't, you don't take those as your model to form your new life. Instead, you take someone else as your model. And who is that someone else? It's God. You take God as your model because He is holy. And as a child of obedience, you fashion your life after Him, not after your former life. He says, not after your former ignorance. Don't live like you used to when you were ignorant. Now that has nothing to do with your IQ. That has nothing to do with book knowledge. That has nothing to do with, you know, um, being intelligent. That is... Spiritual ignorance. That we were in spiritual darkness, Ephesians 4. Now, this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. But now you're to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now do you see how, how girding up your mind and being sober minded, having your hope fully set has to do with holiness and the Renewal of your mind, the spirit of your minds, put on the new self, created after the likeness of of God, fashioned after Him in true righteousness and holiness. You used to not know any better, but now you know because you know God, because you've been born again. And if you're going to be holy, you don't live like you used to. You've been transformed. You live in the new way. You you shape your life, you model your life, you conform your life, not after your previous life, but after God who is holy. Peter clearly gives us the undeniable standard of holiness. And that standard is God himself. The standard is not that deacon that thinks he's super spiritual. The standard is not your godly grandmother. The standard of holiness is not, I need to be a little bit better than that guy. The standard of holiness is God. Because He's the one that's called us, and He's called us to be like Him, and He is holy. How about this? His name is the Holy One. His name is the Holy One. And we're called to be like Him. To be holy in all our conduct, in all manner of living. This means to be holy in your lifestyle. The totality of your life, as your life forms a pattern. This is a call to universal holiness. From the deepest inner life to the most evident outer life, total and complete holiness in lifestyle. This means that there aren't hours for God and hours for yourself. There aren't hours for God and hours for something else. That there is total and complete holiness in every aspect of your life, just like God, because He is the standard. He is holy. Because He's holy... He deserves our holiness. We've been born again. Now, we can never be holy to the extent that God is holy. Right? Because God is perfectly holy. God is completely holy. God is without blemish. God is, is without stain. There is not one molecule of anything unholy in God. Perfect, radiant, majestic in holiness. His name is holy, the Holy One of Israel. And we can never be holy like that. We can never be holy in that extent, can we? 
Now, why can we not? Because we're flawed. We're sinful. We cannot be holy to the extent that God is holy. But what we can seek after is a holiness in kind. So we want to be the kind of holy that God is. We want to seek after total and complete holiness in every aspect of our life. Now, when we make the decision to live that way, to say, I've been saved, I've been born again, and I've been changed, I've become a child of obedience, my character's been changed, I'm going to tie up my mind, I'm going to be clearly, have clear thought, I'm going to try to live holy before God. And we give it all we've got. And then we mess up. Guess what? We're not driven to despair. We're not driven to depression. We're not driven to to feeling like a failure. We're not driven to giving up. Why? Because of the first thing that you were asked to do. Because you've set your hope fully on the grace that will be yours. And I believe that's why that came first. You first, before anything, you set your hope fully on grace. Because God's called us to live holy. And you're not going to do it. You're going to try. But you're not going to do it. And you're going to fail. And you're going to mess up. But that's not going to end you. Because you have already set your hope fully on grace. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.